Welcome to the Architectural Education Off the Record Podcast, where we discuss everything, something, and nothing about architecture. I'm your host, Vincent Hui. In this episode, we're going to be dealing with a topic that is rather relevant right now uh, in today's current climate, and that's the notion of race, the notion that not everyone, despite how we might like to think about things, not everyone is seen the same seen the same way or treated the same way, despite how the Western world might feel about things. Um, So today, we're going to talk about just how it's important to see the other side of things, right? I think it's, it's, it's very important to make sure that we make statements that are not generalities, but to make statements that are more attuned to truth, which is that there are things that are ideal, that we aren't quite there yet. And that happens not only in real life, but it also happens within the way we teach and learn. And sometimes people would be quick to say that it's systemic. And I think one of the first things we want to do is to talk about it. If you confront it, at least we can actually say it exists. At least we can start talking about how we can make improvements. So as an educator, I'm really eager to listen, but I'm also very excited to have three architecture students and an architecture grad talk about this from their perspectives. So today I'm joined by David Campbell, Topanga Pert, and Adnith Kaz. Adnith Kaz. I'll start with you, Adnith, then. Quickly, introduce yourself. Yes, yeah, so I'm Adnith. I'm a second year going into third year. Okay, Topanga. I'm Topanga Pert. I started at Ryerson in fall 2019, and I'll be going into second year. And last but not least, I think you're the senator, the wise senator in the room. We have David Campbell. Hey, everyone. Uh, Yeah, uh, David Campbell. I uh, graduated from Ryerson in 2014 from the master's program, and I'm currently an architect with Arup in Toronto. Yep. So, ladies, just in case you were wondering if you want an in with Arup, David will be taking names after this episode. So (laughs) let's, let's be honest here. There is a lot of unrest right now in the world today. And I'm not just talking about the United States. We're seeing protests in hundreds, if not more, cities around the world, from South Korea all the way to South Carolina to, of course, you know, BC and like Hawaii. So we're seeing that there's a lot of affirmation on the fact that there are inequalities going on and the fact that there's a certain amount of blindness to certain privileges. And I think there's a certain uh, level of abuse on some levels, right? We only need to look right now to the George Floyd situation, but I mean, that's just one, uh, the tip of the iceberg of a lot of other things that have happened up to this point, right? You name it from the lesser downplayed things, say, for example, that uh, lady that basically made the call in the uh, central, in central Park on the birdwatching African-American birdwatcher. And we need only go so far, like racial inequality is, is ever present. And it's not as though it was Rodney King um, and the LA riots, and then it kind of got quelled. It's you know, been a systemic thing. So I, I think that we're gonna forego the discussion unless we really wanna delve into it, but of, of like the political issues that are at play right now, but let's talk about the education, okay? And I'm gonna start off with David because you have seen it for a long time. You've seen it from coming into school and all the way through to graduation. I'm not saying seeing it uh, that, that the department is necessarily guilty of any one thing, but you know, can you tell me, do you believe that there is that same level of inequality, maybe not to the same degree, but the same types of inequality existence in the academic framework? I struggle with, uh, with this question a lot because I, I, and I've been reflecting on it a lot, actually, Vince. Um, one in from a academic point of view, but also in in practice as a as a 
black architect. I, mm-hmm. I guess if that's if that can be a term. Um, and I, I reflect on how I entered into the program. So I, I was a scholarship kid and I got a scholarship through the Big Brothers Big Sisters program. And my mom and my big brother uh, kind of uh, sat me down at my desk and made me apply. So it's, it's, it was always a very interesting feeling because there was always a, a sense that um, everything beyond that scholarship has been a bonus. And I remember going into architecture school um, and kind of being a little bit of a deer in headlights. I didn't really see many people who looked like me, but I, at the same time, I don't think I was really um, aware of it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I do feel like I went through architecture school kind of with a bit of blinders on in, ter- in, in terms of race. And I, I think that also kind of is based on how, how I grew up. Um, and I, I remember seeing a lot of different colors than I normally experienced. Mm-hmm. I had grown up in Scarborough and, you know, you, you, there are just certain shades that you, that you interact with every, every day. Right. And, and this was the first time I was meeting people from other cultures and meeting people from other um, walks of life. And I, I remember always having a sort of feeling of not, not belonging there. One, because I, I had a scholarship that I, I never really felt that I, I earned on my own again, you know, this was, this was, these were things that happened externally. Mm-hmm. Um, the scholarship was what made me get the grades to get into architecture school in, in the first place. I, I, um, my, my grades were awful in, in high school and in, in grade nine, grade 10. I just didn't, I didn't have that sort of, sort of focus. And I, mm-hmm. didn't, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So it was, it was actually that scholarship that forced me to focus and, and I ended up picking architecture and I got in. So, it, but it, it's always felt a, a little bit, um, I, I know the term for that now, and that's imposter syndrome. And, oh, yep. and I've, in talking to other, other black professionals, mm-hmm. I find that's a, that's a common thread. Um, I find that's a common thread in general that a lot of people suffer with. I find it particularly prevalent and it, it almost a lot of these conversations end up boiling down to that and just not, not being in a, being in an environment where it doesn't really, um, you don't feel like you, you were meant to be there. And, and I mean, let, let's face it, our architect, to be able to study architecture comes with a degree of privilege. Mm-hmm. And so there was always a little bit of attention for me in that. Um, to, if I wanted to be an architect, I couldn't be black. And if I wanted to be black, if that's a thing that you can be like from a, from a personality point of view, then you couldn't mm-hmm. be an architect. Like it, it, it was a, it was a weird catch 22 that I found myself caught in. And that there were a lot of things that impacted how I, um, experienced or interpreted events that may have, may or may not have been right. And this is from the point of view of a 17 year old, mm-hmm. um, but when, when I look back, I remember just this overwhelming feeling of, you know, um, not being, not being good enough. And, and from there having to be like, well, this is, this is the hand that I'm dealt. I'm going to make this work. That to me is a privilege that not many people have. And there, there are probably various reasons as to why I felt I had that privilege to be able to take control and, and move past that when not everybody has that. And I think that's something I'm, I'm learning about as I, as I reflect on everything going, going on right now. So I, I will get back to the professional aspects because I think that's really, that your, your perspective on this will be really important, but I want to go back to this, the imposter syndrome, um, because 
I, I can speak to your accomplishments. And then I think that it's, it's not to like hype you up, but you know, you, went through our program, you got a bunch of distinctions, not only in your undergrad, but also upon graduation, right? I remember talking to your mother at one of the, at one of the award ceremonies and, you know, she was crying. I was kind of, I, I believe it or not kids, I was kind of tearing up a little bit. I'll admit that um, because I was talking to your mom and you and I have had this conversation where, you know, I pulled your mom aside and I was talking to her and I was like, you know, your boy's really good. He did so many good things. Uh, he's helped me out with a lot of things. He, I sent him to work with Al, Will Alsop out in the UK um, and he's really accomplished, you know, done a bunch of great things. And then your mom just turns to me and says, you know what? I never knew that. And, uh, and, and it was just, it was a surprise to me. Cause she's like, you know, I got to beat that boy. And I was like, really? <laughs> right. So I was just, I, it, so I, again, you have got a lot of accomplishments under your belt and I don't think in any way you should apologize for the kind of accomplishments that you got, but I do want to, I want to come back to the professional side in a sec, but I want to throw this back to the imposter syndrome to someone like Adnith, right? Adnith, you are a strong performing black female student in our second year going to third year program. Right. And um, I want you to know that, like, if you don't mind me uh, mentioning this, you can tell me to edit out later. But the thing is, guys, she is going to potentially be into co-op, right? In third year, as you know, we have co-op. And Adnit sent me a message going, hey, do you mind if I say the firm? Oh, I don't mind. <laughs> okay. So Adnit sends me a message because she doesn't even know she's going to be in co-op, but she's like, listen, Vince, I want to work for, and, and drum roll, please, on this one. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to test you on this Topanga. But David, she said that she wants to work for Morphosis, right? That's a big cool. name firm. It's really cool, right? And she's like, oh, can I, what I, and of course I'm like, you know what? The, 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 we have, we have, well, except for the pandemic, but we have people working at or imminently going to work for Morphosis. So I was like, of course you can. Why would you, why would you even second guess that, right? What we get from David is the sense of like, you know, I know this kid's done a really good job and he's great and I would hire him in a heartbeat, right? So, and I'm not trying to puff you up at all. Why is it that you had to ask? Like, you know, you've, I've seen you, I've reviewed your work, right? And, and I'll be honest with you, you do not have it easy in, in that past year, right? Where, you know, you had me and you had Baruch and that, that's, a, that's a rough call on, on, on review and, and you survived, but, you know, you are a pretty strong student. So do you feel that there's that little bit of like, you know, self-doubt or imposter syndrome that, that's lingering in you as an, a really top performing student? Um, in a way, yes and no. So I'm going to explain why. Um, so for me, I grew up, like I grew up in Quebec City, which is predominantly white. I went to a majority white, like white school. I've been like the only black girl, like I've been in that position like multiple times. So I've gotten used, like I'm used to being like the only black girl and growing up, I remember like my parents would always tell me and I feel like uh, guys, if you can relate uh, that you have to, you always have to work twice as hard to get half as much. So mm -hmm. you, you guys got this too? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. yeah, of course. Right. So um, for me, I always use it like as fuel. So I, there's, okay. So there's a part of me that wants to uh, achieve things, wants to see myself in a certain position, wants to do good and all of that. But it's hard to believe that you can do it when you don't see anyone that looks like you in those type of position. Like um, just in history classes that we have in architecture, uh, studying precedents, like I couldn't see, I didn't see any black architects really. I didn't see any black female architects. So it's hard to believe that you can achieve something when you don't see like the representation of it. 
Like, um, I remember last time, last time I checked, um, it was in the United States. I couldn't get the, the stats for Canada, but only less than 0.3% of architects, licensed architects were black females, black women. So it's crazy to see like how much like underrepresented we are. So I guess this is where like the doubt comes from. But mm -hmm. at the same time, um, I feel like I always have this mentality of, uh, because I, mm, I, uh, I still have this mentality of, uh, I guess that's like the optimistic first, like part of me that would be like, okay, so I'm going to be like, if I don't see it, I might be the first one. Like, so that's like what I'm striving for. Yeah. You know what? That's interesting because I, I, I'm not sure if you guys all know in the last week or so it, it's convocation time right now. Right. And it, of course everyone's doing virtual convocation and, and I'm not sure maybe I, I find that students tend not to pick up on this, but I'm not sure if you guys saw in the news that they made a big deal. U of T, the person that gave the convocation speech was a black female, right? And then they're like, yeah. yeah, and not only did she give the convocation speech, but guess what? U of T's got 24 black females in the program. And I'm like, um, this is like the biggest program in Canada and, and you're, this is an accomplishment. And, and maybe to me, that's, again, coming back to what you're saying, Ed, and that's where it's like, if you don't see someone to serve as, I guess, not maybe a role model, but at least a benchmark to know it's possible, then I, I guess that, again, because I'm trying to explain this to a lot of people that might not understand this, right? Like, if you don't see something that is, that is something to aspire for, then for some people, it, it seems like it's a fairy tale, correct? Like, I mean, so, so then I, I throw it back to you, Topanga, because Adnet was talking about stuff as a person who's gone through a couple of years of architecture school, and she was talking about like, hey, in school, we never got in history black architects to look up to, let alone black female architects, right? So I'm going to throw it to you, Topanga. You've just gone through first year all alone, right? And I think there's a lot of things to just understand because I want to bring it back to you, Dave, in a second, because Topanga is going to tell you, okay, Topanga, but, but David, you listen to this, because Topanga is going to tell you the number of, say, you know, her experience going through uh, the first year, looking at the percentage of the demographics in her class, maybe coming from high school to university, what the shifts and changes were. And then I want, David, I want you to tell Topanga how it was for you, what, maybe just about a decade since you've graduated, since you started? So Topanga, can you start off? Tell us, tell us about first year and your experience coming in from that perspective of a Black female in first year. Right. So I can still remember the first day of school. I remember coming home from the first day at Ryerson. And one of the first questions that I was asked by my family was, oh, how many Black students are in your program? Really? And yeah, it's funny because as soon as we sat down and we were starting some of the presentations, it was the first thing that I thought about when I started to look around. And it's often what I do when I walk into a room because I understand and I know that we're often underrepresented. Mm -hmm. So Right now, I think in first year, it's me and one other Black female. So we are two out of the approximately 130 students that started. Um, and honestly, like when I saw the one other Black person, it wasn't a surprise. It's something I've become so accustomed to, unfortunately. I've gone to a high school that was also predominantly white. I've experienced most of my classes where I'm one of the only Black kids or the only Black kid. And it's something that I feel like I'm going to continue to have to endure throughout, um, throughout this practice and going into architecture as a profession. 
but it's it's awfully like discouraging because as Anith said, there is no representation and we have to kind of set these milestones for ourselves. So I did see that interview on TV where they showed the medical student who was valedictorian mm -hmm. and they were showing the other 24, I believe, yep. um, black students who are also in their program. And every time we see the, this type of representation on TV, it is more encouraging. I often get messages from family members who will just show me that there is another black student entering a prestigious program because it's something to look forward to. And it's just another like piece of acknowledgement that often isn't there. Okay. So then David, did you, is that pretty, is it, is it a surprise to hear that maybe things are not any different from when you started or, you know, is it, is it a surprise to you that things are like, I, I just want to get your perspective a, a generation apart. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I'm not surprised. And I think in, in a lot of ways, and to be honest with you, even um, when I, even the news coming in, uh, all of the all of the issues in the states, uh, looking at social media and whatnot, everything happening, and mm -hmm. all of the, like people really suffering, right, mm -hmm. uh, fighting for their afraid to go outside. Um, I that does not surprise me, and that sort of uh, and I hope that doesn't cast like a sort of shadow on this whole discussion because it, like I've I've actually become so desensitized to that, but. Um, kind of both uh, yourself, Topanga, and uh, Adnith, I, I resonate with what you've both said because, um, but I, I, I wanted to add that there's no one singular Black experience, and I've heard two very different ones, which is very interesting. And what I found, and something that um, Adnith, you had mentioned, like there's just this sort of drive that kind of pushes you through these sort of difficult times when you might not, you might get uh, some self-doubt and whatnot. I found I had the exact same thing. Um, mine came from probably how I grew up with my mom and being a sort of first generation Jamaican kid mixed, whatever, I don't know, um, in in Scarborough, I was. I actually went to a high school with quite a very a, a very mixed demographic. I would actually say uh, white students were probably in the minority. Um, the rest were were Asian, Black, Indian descent, uh, all, all sorts of different colors. And so, even if there were fewer Black students in general, um, I was kind of. I never really felt alone in the in the sense that the contrast was was that stark um and and everyone kind of grew up in the same we all kind of came from the same walks of life mm -hmm. um but one thing that sort of helped me was just this this sort of hustle mentality and i don't know where that came from because i don't think naturally i have that but um <laughs> i like seriously it's it's something new and but maybe it was kind of all, always there but it was just i was I was always going to stick with it. Like I was never going to drop out mm -hmm. even, even during tough times for whatever reason, even though dropping out could have been a totally valid option. I just mm -hmm. never was going to do it. And I, I don't know what drove me to do that. It was like, this was the thing that I'm going to achieve. And now I didn't, I don't think I was aware of not having representation above me. Mm -hmm. um, I just took, like, I just, I was a really good student. I wanted to be like a really good architect. And so when I, when I was handed a history book that said architecture on it, I assumed that like, this is all of architecture, like th this is everything. So 
Western architecture being the complete picture. Um, I, I, today I flipped through some of those older books that I was looking at in first year, just out of curiosity. And I, and I went through and it's like, okay, yeah, Greek, Roman, um, you know, Byzantine, Romanesque, Neo-Romanesque, classical. And I found Islamic architecture had like a couple pages mm -hmm. and that was about it. But I remember just taking all of this information and not really questioning it too much. And you know, it was just like, this is, this is architecture, right? This is what mm -hmm. you do. There's no, there, it's a unified approach. Yeah, you know what, that's the, the, back in the old days, see, see again, this is me dating myself. See, back in the old days, guys, um, we actually had just implemented this thing called non-Western traditions as part of accreditation, right? Mm -hmm. It was like, look, man, that Western canon that, you know, David, you just mentioned, there's more to it than that. So I remember in, in, when I was in school, it was, they made such a big deal. Look, we're looking at, you know, these primitive huts that are created like these mud or like brick huts that are primitively done in you know uh these african countries and then oh look yeah. we have pagodas because the them them rice eating people they like the, the like the the pagoda <laughs> and then it's like uh corb did some stuff in india so, so it's yeah. like okay cool and then oh yeah was th like, there was always that cred i remember that one <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, okay, great. But how about the, like, you'd think that in a country like India or China, where there's literally billions of people, statistics would say that at least one good Chinese architect or one good Indian architect would yeah. come out of there or like an entire continent. You'd think yeah. one architect from the continent of Africa would pop up. Mm -mm. No, 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 no. And, and so that brings me back to that point. Right. Um, and, and I'm going to close off with you, David, but I'm going to throw it to Adnath again, because I'm asking about, the, the stuff that I can do because I want to learn. Okay. And you guys know what I do in the department. There's stuff that I officially do and then there's stuff that I, let's say, unofficially do. Right. So Adnith, tell me, what would you say if I gave you the keys to the kingdom or keys to the curriculum? Right. And I said, Adnith, look, you know, you've just heard me and David talk about one thing, which was like just non-Western traditions. Like, and, and you were very much about, hey, I need to have someone to look up to or something to look up to. Right. Give me a hint here. Give me one thing at the very least, one example of something that you would do to really, I don't know, positively address. The, and I'm not saying you can solve it. You, there's no way in hell we can solve it individually, right? But what would you say is a good suggestion? Um, I think there are many things that we could do. Okay, I'm all ears, man. <laughs> there are many things that we could do. I remember actually, um, I'm not going to say when, but uh, it was Black History Month. and I Which went, is the shortest month of the year, by the way. I should just mention that. Uh, I went to, um, actually went to our, oh, I don't know if I should say this. I went to our history prof. Um, <laughs> yep, okay, that's all you have to say. That's all you have to say. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I mean, you went to, and the history prof said. <laughs> um, no, I went to the history prof because um, I think we were, we were um, studying like a bunch of architecture from all around the world, except for Africa at that point. And um, I just went because it was half, um, Black History Month and I just went to uh, the prof and asked, uh, would it be possible to include uh, black, ar black architects for like during this month or just like a mm -hmm. little segment during the, the lecture? And I was told like, yeah, we'll do it. Uh, we'll address uh, Africa like next week or something. So next week came around and we did address Africa and it was like less than half a lecture. So mm -hmm. it was like very, um, like, I don't know, I feel like we, I feel like it was addressed in a way which wasn't like seen as like very important that much, mm. you know? So I think that was kind of disappointing 
uh, I wish that, let's say for precedent studies, uh, whether it's in history or whether it's in studio, maybe if we could include architecture, like if we could include like more the diversities, uh, diversity of architects or even of projects, because um, they, I feel like we tend to forget that architecture kind of has a role in systemic racism, not mm -hmm. that it oppresses people, but it's a tool to oppress uh, in multiple ways, like for um, displacement of communities and gentrification even sometimes. So I feel like if it was possible to include uh, projects that are um, aware of the, their social and political implication on the place that they are, and maybe projects that not necessarily because because we always say that we do architecture for people, but what type of people? Because um, um, I wish that we would have like more diversity of projects that don't only um, focus on like, um, no, I just wish we had like a more diverse type of projects and not just projects that are like of high budget or for like uh, infrastructures of like, museums, wineries, like that's the type of things that we've been doing lately, but mm. I wish we could do like more like community focused projects just to show like the range in architecture. So I, I hear a lot of things there and just let me un unpack this for a sec, because uh, just starting off with that last point, you're talking about a diversity of typologies, basically types of buildings and, and you're, you're mentioning that and I, I, I would agree with you that in a lot of architecture programs, you very rarely say, hey, David, you know what? In studio, we're going to design a jail. Hey, you know what, Topanga? This year, we're going to design retirement homes, right? Like, it's, it's, you can imagine that there's a certain amount of excitement that comes with certain types of buildings, right? And I'm not in any way defending it, but I'm just trying to explain some of the, the, the rationale that some colleagues might have. Uh, when it comes to taking that on. Now, I'll admit, though, that another point you were talking about was just, hey, you know what, it, that, that, that experience that you had with the history prof uh, regarding Black History Month, I, I don't want to defend, because I wasn't there, but I also want to say that it's, it, as you said, it's systemic, because sometimes a student, and I'm not going to say it's like a Black Chinese or whatever thing, but sometimes I'll have a kid who's from, say, like, I'm not even, not even joking, like, Azerbaijan, right? Or Albania. And I'm not just starting at the top of the alphabet, but these are two countries where these students have heritage. And they're like, Vince, you're an architecture prof, and I am. Can you name me a famous building in like Albania? I'm like, oh, dude, I don't, I don't know, right? Well, and then, you know, can you name me a famous architect who's from Albania or, uh, you know, Azerbaijan? And you're like, mm, I, I don't know. And it's not as though we don't care about it, but the way I've been trained and the way a lot of other architecture profs have been trained was again, based on that Western canon. And so it's the cycle of ignorance, not the cycle of abuse, but the cycle of ignorance, which causes us to say, yeah, thank you, Edneth. I care about black you know, people in architecture. So, and we're gonna look at Africa. Hey, guess what? Egypt is in Africa. Let's look at the pyramids, right? That's not a fun exercise. And I would think that, um, as, I'm not again. I'm not trying to defend the prof on this, um, but I just think that it just draws attention to the fact that there's a cycle of ignorance that I, I want to say that we should be able to uh, stomp out sooner and later, right? Um, and and then when it comes to the nature of architects today, I think we should always look at today, right? Not just in the past, correct? So I, I think 
do any of you guys have a sense of any famous black architects? Okay, not you, David. You can't. Yeah, I know I, David no, Campbell. I, I'm, I'm, I'm holding back on this one. I, I wanted to wait a little. Yeah. It's like, David. I'm like, uh, <laughs> Topanga's like, uh, Dave, Dave Campbell <laughs> from, from Air Rip again, was it? Um, no, but okay. But you see, you're right. Like, see, see this one example where you have first year going to second year and a second year going to third year. And in both cases, these people have studied architecture for a few years, for a, at least a year, if not a couple of years. And, and you know, they're expressing this desire. And here's my question then. So if I was asking Adnith, you know, what could she do? Or what would you recommend? And we got a couple of things there about like, you know, inculcating a better curriculum, stopping that cycle of ignorance and ensuring that we really have projects that deal with real world or, or more kind of appropriate, less decadent scenarios, right? Topanga, coming to you, right? What would you suggest given that you've studied architecture and yet you can't name for me a famous, not even famous, but just a, a, a black architect that you would say you could look up to? No, I, I completely agree. Going through history, we spent months on end going through um, architecture throughout Europe um, and these westernized concepts and going through an entire continent took a three-hour lecture. But there's some point where I have to say that if I'm not being taught, it's my responsibility to learn on my own mm-hmm. because you know, the system isn't always going to give us everything we need and it becomes our own responsibility to just take our education into our own hands if it's not fully given. But mm-hmm. I do completely agree with um, the fact that it's important to have more projects that deal with, I know, more realistic situations and address different populations that are marginalized that are like often not considered when you think of um, architecture. Mm-hmm. So in our last semester, we, we had a project where each section was divided up into streets or like sections of Toronto. Mm-hmm. And my section was given Regent Park, essentially Regent Park leading into Cabbage Town. Okay. And I noticed like immediately that everyone else in my section was really put down because they didn't want, you know, Ontario's first hood as their final project. They didn't want to officially study um, marginalized populations, look into the, the, the effects and like take on the responsibility and of the ethics and reflecting on the socioeconomic diversity within that community. But I found it like really I found it really interesting and I think I think I had a really great time doing the project because I was delving into something that you know wasn't necessarily easy like I I was exploring the issues of gentrification in the area and I I don't know I was just a lot more interested in the ethics of this profession because it obviously is not always going to be you're given this beautiful plot of land and you're free to design whatever and everybody's happy. It's more realistically, at least I, I'd like to believe, more realistically going to be that we have to adhere to certain political conflicts, certain social conflicts, and design better as architects because of that. Okay, so I, I think that's a lot of potent thought there because it, it, while it resonates with a lot of what Adnet said, Topanga, I'm, I'm gathering that 
you know, you're, you're telling me that, again, I don't want to paraphrase, uh, you know, speak out of turn, so I'm going to paraphrase this, but you're saying that when you were given a site, um, mm-hmm. you, and you said, to use your term, you said, like, you know, it was looking at the hood, right? And, um, and some people were put off by that, and, and you found it an exciting opportunity? If, if I, yeah, if I yeah. simplify. So it's, it's interesting that you raise this because A, surprise, spoiler alert, uh, I'm studio master. So you just maybe changed the final project now. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so if everyone hates the final project next year, it'll be Topanga's <laughs> fault. Um, but but, but I, I wanted to put things in perspective here because ladies, you guys have had your chance to speak your mind on how we could you know, make the program better. And one thing that I, the thread that I see commonplace is the kind of nature of the studio project, right? So yeah, we can fix up and like append the kind of uh, canon of work that we give students to read for history theory courses, but you're saying it's really the studio where the rubber hits the road. And in this particular instance, we're talking about typologies, the the type of projects that we're given. Now I'm going to throw this to you ladies. What if I told you that maybe in a studio, you could actually take on something that had a little bit of flexibility, that maybe there was a general theme and it wasn't necessarily like decadent, like let's design a winery, let's design for the 1% kind of thing. No, what if like the theme was, I don't know, say David, like conflict, right? Um, you know, that brought what would back you fond memories. Well, I was going to say that. So, so David, can you just, you, you can see where I'm going with yeah. this, but yeah, yeah. David, David, in that scenario, can you describe to the ladies what you had to deal with when you were doing your studio project and how it relates to like, just not dealing with the conventional Western canon and certainly not with like decadent typologies. Sure. Um, and I, I had a whole bunch of other buzzing thoughts about um, how, how the, how the history book, um, which, which, you know, is representative of what's being taught. Uh, you know, in many architecture schools, not just Ryerson, this is being yeah. taught everywhere. Um, I, this may cause every architectural historian um, to bang on my on my door, but I think uh, that when these books are being shown, there there needs to be a discussion that says um, this book is about Western architectural history. It is part of the status quo. It is part of the establishment. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, that's very telling. I think um, th- there's, a, there's a whole bunch of thoughts there because I think there's a whole load of documents that's been put out. Arup has one called the key speech and there are some problematic parts with it. And there, there's always an ongoing discussion that says, well, this is a part of our history. This mm-hmm. brought us to where we are. Is it right? And should we have a, should we have a frank discussion about it? Mm-hmm. The document is still the document. It's there. It's, it was written it's not going to go away um but how do how do we introduce it and i think on day one of a first year history class um someone should say there are some problematic images in the ching book related to ethnicity when you look at um oh, i'm images, curious about this i i, yeah, I never it, picked up on that man there so you go you literally go from a classical building to people with spears uh looking at a hut in, in these sketches, right? That's, that to me is, is problematic. This is how a culture is being represented mm-hmm. in, in a book about architectural, architectural drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it, it just needs, to, I think this is part of that discussion, right? It, the change is not gonna happen o- overnight. I, you, you can't create a new architectural book. I'm seeing in social media right now that uh, there are new reading lists that people are putting together that do talk about some of those mm-hmm. issues. So I, I can try to 
compile what I found and what I maybe share it with, with, with both of you. I can share it with you, with you Vince. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a really positive change um, in that sometimes when the, and we see this with protest in that when there is an established order and an established way of doing things, sometimes um, it, it has to come from the grassroots to sort of make that change. And I'm, I am seeing a lot of positivity in that. There's a lot, I've learned a lot. Uh, you know, earlier I said I kind of just took everything that I was given in architecture school, um, and that probably made me a very good student and whatnot. But mm-hmm. um, now I'm reading about things that I, I actually missed, and I want to—I actually want to go back and relearn that kind of stuff now, mm-hmm. which is which is which is very interesting. Um, so that's a whole other discussion, and I know I'm, I'm probably going to get some angry phone calls in the next uh, couple of days. But um, you talked about a project about conflict and studio. And uh, so I was very uninterested in uh, some of the museum projects and whatnot that we were doing. You know, I, I I did them and I learned a lot and, and, uh, and, and it it was part of my education, but we had a studio in fourth year um, under Ian McBurney, who was a professor at Ryerson and he um, titled the, studio architecture in a world of conflict and ian and i had been working on other things earlier on um, but his interest really was about the social impact to architecture and it wasn't about architecture um as sort of a you know just you do it and then you leave it and the community is not involved in it he really was about trying to get people to consider how they interrogate uh, and question what's happening in places that they're not from. So that was the key thing in this mm-hmm. particular studio, um, in that you could not do the project in a place that you've been. So everybody was starting, and you would get kind of the commonalities, right? There were a lot of projects in 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 Southeast Asia, mine included. There was mm-hmm. a lot of projects in Africa, um, South America, and it um, it takes a lot of maturity to be able to engage with those projects mm-hmm. as well, because even as a as a black person, um, we we worked on projects in in Ghana. I'm not from Ghana. I don't. My ancestry is goes very very far back. Maybe it comes from there a little bit. But um, I had to relearn how to um, how to look at things in a very sensitive way. That was that was just different from what I was used to. And that mm-hmm. I think that studio studio really changed the way I approached um, certainly academia. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenges of pro- of the profession are very different, but ever since then, that's the, those were the only kinds of projects I really wanted to do. Those were the ones that really resonated with me. Um, and both both of the projects that I worked on, that I could say are probably in that theme, uh, my fourth year thesis and then my my master's thesis, um, were very much. You, you, I mean, you could you can always talk about the the design and the technical aspects and those kind of things, but they were projects that I wanted to work on at the time that I hadn't really been able to do before. And um, I, lo- I look back at them very fondly because it, it really was transformative in terms of the way that I, I saw myself um, within the architectural profession. Because f- finally I found a, a place. I found, well, I found a sort of a foothold. David, can you elaborate just for the ladies in the audience here, exactly in the World of Conflict studio, what did you actually design? I think that's important. Because yeah. I, I think it's coming back to the typology discussion that Adnet right. and Topanga were raising. So, and this is taking me back a long way. So I, I have You're to. You're not that old. I'm not that old. I know. I know. But basically, I looked at um, Burma, and there was a conflict there, 
and there was a conflict in terms of uh, people who felt oppressed and and the situation in Burma has changed quite a bit. So that's mm-hmm. that's also very very interesting, right? People who were uh, leaders there are have been you know fallen out of favor and whatnot, and it's it's really interesting going back. I I ended up dis- looking at the the river that goes north to south through the country through the country. It's like the lifeblood of the of the country itself, mm-hmm. and I wanted to find a typology that was of it was something that that was almost a sort of a subversive sort of piece, um, but was very was hi- also highly functional. So it ended up being a sort of a lighthouse uh, and a pier that was on the south side of the river in uh, Yangon. And it was on the south side because that's where a, there was literally a dividing line between classes and people who were in a, in seen to be the, the kind of lower class were on the south side. So I put it on the south side. Um, but the idea was that there'd be several of these throughout the whole country and that it would be a almost a, and this is probably where I was as a fourth year student, probably overthinking the whole thing, but um, it was a sort of a means of communication that was recognizable to um, to a certain group of people, but not a group of people who were in control. So to me, it was a building that was about, it was about protest. It was about, um, it was about taking back some kind of authority. And, and I learned a lot and you can probably question the, you can probably, um, you know, argue or, or question some of the, the parameters and those kind of things. But it was very much a project that I really felt like I was there and it was a whole year of Mm -hmm. like really just exploring that through many different phases. And there's so many different iterations and whatnot. Um, But it was something I was proud of in the end Mm -hmm. in a way that I, I don't know if I was as proud of some of the other projects I had done. Hmm. Interestingly. Um, So so the fact that you were able to tie it into something that you were passionate about was important, but I think that you're raising up, from a pedagogical standpoint, the fact that you actually had to investigate uh, a certain population. And that comes back to something that I think has been raised a couple of times now, where we take things for granted. We assume that the, not what white is right, but that the Western canon is the way that we should be following through. And that's not the case. And when we actually have opportunities to investigate on our own, uh, that might prove to be a really good way of cultivating not only for Topanga to learn on her own, but as 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 you, as you put it, but you know, so that we can as architects really learn to as architect students to learn really what happens in architecture. Because I I I I just want to come back to this in the industry. You know, I might be assigned to design a uh, I don't know a, a Jewish synagogue, right? My company might be assigned to do a Jewish synagogue. I'm not going to be like, yeah, yeah. No matter what, I, I've been to church a couple of times. I know this, you know, this this kind of God stuff. Sure, we have the Ten Commandments in in the Christian model, so we're going to do this. That would never happen, right? You have to do that research. And I think that if that's what's done in the industry, maybe we should actually do something similar in in school. Like, and then that's why I want to come back to the two uh, ladies here. And I'll start with you, Adnath. Do you think that researching and specifically researching about something that's not in protest, not in defiance, but just something that is different and uh, from the Western can is if, if I said, Adnath, that is in your responsibility, right? Kind of like when I say you have to do those tutorials on learning how to do X, Y, Z software. Like, do you think that that would be digestible as an undergrad architecture student? I think so too. I think that my, it might not be like the most exciting. 
But I think, uh, like, it depends, like, where, uh, like, how you approach the situation and how you, like, what you, uh, how you see it as. Like, uh, for me personally, I think it would be, uh, I think I, everyone can benefit from, like, from taking this as a learning experience. So I feel like it would be. Okay. Okay. And then Topanga, you were saying that you would do that anyways. And and I, I got a tinge in your voice that that's like, oh, I got to do it. But I mean, if, if I said now you got to do it on your own, but it's for some school project, as opposed to personal interest, w- would that motivate? Would that help the situation at all? I mean, I think it would help. I think it would definitely help for someone who like wouldn't take it upon themselves to look it in, like to look into it. Um, If it's part of the curriculum and we make it as mandatory as everything else, learning about any other culture, Mm -hmm. um, then I think it definitely adds value that, that a lot of people don't see in it. Okay. So I'm going to, I want to do one more question uh, on, on schooling before I talk about the profession, because that's going to be a lot of fun stuff, because I know everyone wants to talk about that. But I want to talk about education, just one last thing, because, you know, in, in the kind of way we're talking about learning about different things, uh, you might notice that in 2015, Canada came out with the Truth and Reconciliation document, right, which had a whole bunch of, you know, findings and, and, and justifiably so that, you know, Canada did a lot of bad things to First Nations people, right? And as a result, there's been a big push to ensure that there are components of reconciliation. That is to say that we're trying to make things better between the various populations um, that are at play in the country. And, and we're trying to mend the fences, so to speak, right? And we find everything from finding new ways to you know, bring in indigenous ways of learning, like make sure that we learn more about our indigenous, you know, uh, brothers and sisters in the country that we share land with. I mean, so all of this is coming into the forefront right now. Okay. And to the point where even in Canada and lots of other countries, we see that the, the current protest uh, kind of sentiment isn't just simply black, uh, you know, it's isolated to one sole population. But in, in Canada, for example, we're talking about black and indigenous, uh, you know, uh, crime, crimes committed against those two uh, very clear-cut uh, minorities. So my, my sense is that we've seen some push in the right direction, at least for the indigenous populations. But of course, it took centuries and it took a lot of upheaval to get that done, right? So coming back to students here, do you really think that, is, is it just for the accreditation and for committees to to kind of make decisions say okay good we got the indigenous guys check now okay next thing on the list black so do you how do you think we should do this because i i'm 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 an educator right so i've asked you what i should teach and perhaps how i should teach it but now i'm asking you guys i'm going to give you the keys to the entire department i'm going to say look as a university administrator what should i do what could i do to make sure that this is not just like a checkbox, right? We all know, I think, I think Topanga, you did Terry's sustainability course, right? So you know that there's like this thing called the lead system where it's like a checklist of like, okay, do we have bike racks? Check. Do we have green roof? Check. So, okay, great. We got a green sustainable building, right? And are, are we going to be, if we, we start kind of mandating things like, okay, we got to learn X number of hours of indigenous history or X number of hours of non-Western traditions. We check the boxes. 
that's a disservice. We know that, right? That's just like blindly checking off a checklist and that's not going to be good. So I may actually, no, I'm going to start with Adnith because I started you last time. I'm going to start off with you, Topanga. You're, a, you're just finishing first year. So you're smart. So tell me if you were not a prof, but you were an administrator, the person that's in charge of a lot of decisions over what profs teach, do whatever, right? What would you say would be a good way? Not that it's a checklist, but that it's a genuine kind of thing to, for us to do. What would you suggest for us to do? Because you, you are now in, you know, you're going through this. I want you to speak to some of my colleagues who are listening right now. From a student standpoint, what would you suggest that we, we start doing? Um, I think it starts with like acknowledging wrongdoing um, and making it, like I think a lot is swept under the rug and it's only brought up after the fact if it's like brought public. But I think if we start by acknowledging where things go wrong and then possibly continue to, I don't know. I don't know if like, as I think of things, it does become like a checklist Mm -hmm. in my head. And I feel like that's how everything has been programmed. Like, we do a certain amount of hours and then we're no longer in the wrong. But obviously like that, that doesn't account for everything. And that doesn't, I know that doesn't give everyone the, the education that they're looking for, but Mm -hmm. I don't know as an administrator. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a hard question to ask, especially for a senior position, but it's just that I think that we, we as administrators talk about this all the time and we allegedly say we've read papers and we know X, Y, and Z, but the reality is that if we were so wise and educated, you'd expect us to have pulled something together by now. Right. Um, so, 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 I mean, and, and you understand that whether it's accreditation or just like curriculum, right. It's always like, do we check the boxes? Do, does the student demonstrate that he or she can do X, right? And it's like, check. It's a yes or no. It's very binary kind of thing, right? Yeah, there's varying degrees of good or bad, but like, you know, is it good or is it bad, right? Plain and easy. So I know it's hard to ask, but then I'll throw it to you, Adnith, because you've seen a little bit more time within our program, right? And you've seen how you've described the kind of chronic issues that arise when profs do certain things certain ways. But now, like, you know, you just as a hint here, or not as a hint, but as just coming off of some of the stuff you said earlier about the history theory course, right? You know, the prof was taught a certain way, right? And as a result, he or she would teach and dispense and treat your requests in a certain way. What if, and I'm going to throw this hypothetically at you, what if, you know, as an administrator, you could have that prof, like, get a certain amount of time to look up, read, do something. Like if you could incentivize that prof to take it upon him or herself so that it's like, you know what? Every prof, I'm just talking about crazy now. Like this is like genie wish list, right? Uh, as an administrator, I'd say every prof has $1,000 at their disposal every year to go to conferences, partake in activities that we will give the blessing to that do address some of these issues so that it's not just simply a checklist, but that the prof actively has to investigate pursue, get knowledgeable, right? Because I think that we all know that if a prof isn't actually learning more about what's going on, then that prof is just like a record, right? It's just, it's, it's locked in time and you just play it again and again. A real prof is supposed to be the person that's bringing leading edge real world research and, and all that cool stuff to the classroom, right? 
So Adnith, what do you say to that proposal? If I, if I said that, like as an administrator, like just randomly a thousand bucks to every prof to go to conferences, you know what? You don't know enough about say, uh, the, 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 the architectures coming out of Africa, right? Not, not in the past, but of today. So um, fine, I'm gonna go and see some stuff by uh, Kunle Adeyemi out in Nigeria, right? Cool, great. So, so would you, what would you say to that? Um, I'm not, I, I think it's a, it could be a great idea. Um, I think also, I guess this isn't like so easy to do, but possibly maybe hire more black faculty. Oh, that's a good one. That's like, it's almost as if you strategically set that up for the next part with David, but yes. Okay. So hire more black faculty. Okay. Keep on going. Um, I'm writing this stuff down. No, cause I think it's, it's great to educate yourself. I think it's, it's a great thing, but, um, the best thing would have, would be to have someone who none, not only knows, uh, about these things, but has lived through this and can offer like a different perspective uh, on different things and just diversify uh, the faculty to, to be able to just offer different, uh, different perspectives on things. Okay, so I will take that and I will, I agree with you, but I will take that and just explain to you a couple of things. If you already looked in the classroom and as Topanga said, less than one, sorry, less than 2% of her class is actually black, right? So I'm not saying that her class is like the best representation of architects around the world, right? Not by any such imagination, but just as an example, you know, she's a very, very select minority. Okay. And if, if I were to say, you know what, if, if, if let's go with this, let's say less than 1% are black. Right. And then we also know of that 1% of any given, uh, sorry, of that population of students that enter architecture schools, only a certain percentage of them, like it's not, like, you know, you'd be lucky if you get 50%, will actually come to fruition, become a fully licensed architect. And it's not even black, white, green, doesn't matter. Like it's just straight up. The, the, the percentage of people that graduate from architecture schools that become licensed architects drops, right? Okay, for a host of reasons. So now we're cutting that chance of that black architect, Topanga, right? That 1% of that class, right? Let's say, for example, that 1% of that class, and we know that there's a 50% chance, for example, uh, that she might actually become a licensed architect. You know, we're automatically looking at a very select group of black people to choose from, to, to get from, to, to get as not only architects, but certainly, you know, profs, right? Because there's thousands, like, you know, probably like, you know, several thousands of architects, but there's only about 200 architecture profs in the whole entire country, okay? So it's hard, I'll, I'll admit that, right? And you know, when, when I sit on hiring committees, I, I always make sure, and I always see this, it's okay, make sure it says, um, you know, we, we encourage visible minorities, you know, people of different backgrounds, diversity is our strength, all that, right? And that's great. Um, but unfortunately, we don't always get that coming out of the woodwork. So I'm going to throw this now back to the industry. And this is where, again, it's like we did, we did not practice this at all. But, you know, David, you are an industry. I want you to tell me, you know, I, I come back to an earlier point that you said about the imposter syndrome. You, and I told you, you got the job because you're the best person at that, one of the best people in that class. You're the best person that I would say in that class that I would hire in a second, right? And I've recommended you for, remember your, remember Horhan? Remember the old jobs? Yeah. See, yeah. See, exactly. I'm still so, in touch with Horhan. Yeah. So, so, so and so am I. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but the thing is, see, I remember that you were a good kid. That you know, I know that you're a good guy and you were a good kid back then too. And I said, you know what, this kid's going places. So I, I had no problems getting him out there and getting industry. And I'm really glad to hear that you're a licensed architect with Arab. 
So you are good, but do you ever have the doubt that you are working within one of the biggest multinational engineering architecture firms in the world? And do you ever have any doubts in your mind that you got it because I hate to say it, you know, we always hear about that affirmative action. We always hear about that. Like I just told you, Adnith, about the kind of things that we say in our hiring things, which says we encourage black, white, you know, sorry, black, visible minorities, you know, you know, all that stuff. David, do you find that in the industry, A, that that's, uh, uh, I don't, first off, I guess, maybe, do you find that it's, it's just as difficult to find people of color uh, in the positions of power within architecture in the industry? And then the second thing is, personally, coming back to imposter syndrome, I just told you that you're really good. But do you find that, you know, every so often you're like, hey, did I get this because mm -hmm. of X, Y, or Z instead of what I can do? So this is a really interesting question. Um, I've, I don't get that at Arab. So I'll answer the personal one first. And okay. the reason I don't get that at Arab is because when I went to the UK, no one knew who the hell I was. And that was actually extremely liberating. And I, I, I actually got a massive, um, I mean, e, e, right before I went to the UK, um, Ian and I were, were having a, a chat and the, the idea of self-doubt came in. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he literally said, oh, don't worry. When you go to the UK, they'll knock that right out of you. And I think that was his, his way of encouraging me. I went to the UK. No one knew who I was. Mm -hmm. And I was able to repeat the same um, I guess le level of of confidence that took me I guess six year six to eight years to build in Toronto. So there there was almost no question that I got it because of a certain quota or anything like that. Okay. So so that kind of killed it all mm -hmm. for me in a way, and I got a massive like that gave me a huge boost in confidence. I, I I would say that's good. Um, coming back and and when I got that boost of confidence, I kind of and so this kind of goes back to the, uh, to the two young ladies who are, who are with us tonight, is that um, it kind of became my, I felt like it became a more of a responsibility in a way to, if no one's in front of me, right? Like if, mm -hmm. if I can't see anyone who looks like me in front, then, then I'm in front. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of the implication, right? Um, then that means there must be some people who are coming after me who I have to kind of look out for. Mm -hmm. or be that leader mm -hmm. in a way, whether, whether I'm ready to be a leader or not, right? You just have to take, take that. Um, now, in the Toronto office, um, we, so I was the own, in the architecture office in London, there were two or three black people. There was Ken, and there was some other guy, but then that guy left, and I don't, I don't know his name. Um, Ken's recently left. Mm -hmm. um, when I came to... Toronto um it was like it was weird because suddenly it, we were in a team with lots and lots of different colors and that was super cool to me right mm -hmm. now within Arab we have uh all of the and I I don't want to over glorify this number but we have all of the black architects work for Arab Toronto uh and that's myself Josephine and we will include Vivian even though she's an intern so hey, you hear that? Shout out, Viv. You're, you got promoted <laughs> and you just got licensed, apparently. <laughs> I, I still, I consider her. And yeah. um, so, so that, that's only three people, right? And there might be a margin of error of like one or two architects, but like mm -hmm. generally we know all the architects, right? So mm -hmm. there's like three of us in the whole company. Um, that's a very, very, very small number. But 
that gives a massive amount of power. And there's a lot of power in being the underdog. And I think that's something that I've learned in that I work for an engineering company as an architect. So I'm already, I'm an, I'm an underdog. I'm an underdog in that, um, <laughs> in that I'm black. And then I'm a, the, the team itself is an underdog in that we're kind of a startup trying to build a, 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 a practice and, and a mm -hmm. team with a history and stuff, right? So we're, we're underdogs in three ways. And for whatever reason, and I think a lot of people on the team feel this way in that being an underdog really kind of is powerful. Okay. Um, I, I find that huge. There was another question you asked that was related to this one, but I just wanted to go off on that because it's something I'm proud of in terms of the growth that's happened well, in the last yeah, I was few asking, years. I think you kind of covered it because I was asking about the self-doubt and the first question was just like the, the kind of um, issues in the industry. Like, do you, do you find that uh, there are like that lack of presence in the classroom yeah. and the lack of presence of black people in the uh, profession. Like, uh, like you kind of said, yeah. like no one's in front of me, you know, I'm helping out the people behind me, but you, know, you want to elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah. Um, I think that that also comes with the flip side of it and that, um, and, and actually politically, I tend to be pro affirmative action, to be honest, even though there, there is a dark side to that and that yeah. someone who benefits from affirmative action will, will have this, just stigma. shadow stigma yeah. and shadow of self-doubt that they feel that they that they may feel that they never deserved the position that they that they they um that they were in um i don't know the answer to it hmm. but there was a conversation that we were having and i act, i have to be careful about how i how i quote this but um this if if basically if if this conversation uh were to happen at the office at Arup right now, mm -hmm. um, there would be not many people who would disagree. And that's how I'm gonna preface this. But we were talking about um, the lack of women in technical roles, in technical mm -hmm. leadership roles in the office. And somebody said, if you have a man and you have a woman and they are going for the same position and generally their resumes are all equal, do we now have to say that the woman who is at that table at the interview is superior to the man who is at the table automatically. Now, that is something that I think we should think about and think about what it means because there's a story there in terms of how people who um, have not been privileged with certain, just certain innate aspects of, of, of life, how they got to a particular position that they were in. And I think that has to be recognized. Um, this is, I'm going to get so many angry phone calls, but I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to, to at Man. the very least be the, be the voice that, that says this for people to think about, right? I don't know if this is the right or wrong answer, mm -hmm. but this is something, the, these are, these are the levels of dramatic step changes that mm -hmm. would have to happen for an entire system to, to be changed. You know what you're talking about with the affirmative action thing. I think you're talking about something that a lot of people, myself included, get worried about when it's like, okay, if I pull certain people, not even for like hires, but just even for certain positions, am I doing this? Because optically it looks like it's tokenism, right? Where right. I'm, I'm hiring someone or pulling in someone on a team because, ah, crap, I got a, I got a job in, um, say, uh, Kenya. Okay, crap. Um, Hey, Dave, you're close enough to black. Let's put you on the team, right? Like that, that yep. doesn't make sense, but you know, it, uh, Vince, I'm in the middle of doing something else. No, no, I need to, this. it doesn't work. Right. But I, I mean, like, I think, you know, you're talking about some of the stuff that perhaps 
you're, you're alluding to that you feel a little bit uncomfortable or some, certainly within the firm. I'll tell you right now, even just guys, getting the three of you guys onto this episode, okay? You got to understand that as some of you guys might know, I'm not the most politically correct in what I say. I think most people know that I got a, a decent heart in the right place, but I sometimes misspeak, right? And when I was trying to figure out, okay, I'll ask these guys and I realized, crap, will it be me just going, I'm asking three black architecture students from Ryerson to talk on this, right? And, and usually I'm sensitive about these. Like if you listen to any of the other episodes, I try to make sure I get like different ages, different genders, different backgrounds, whatever, right? Just to make sure it's a rounded out conversation. But this is one of those few podcast episodes where I was like, no, I need to have three black voices, right? Um, so I, I still struggle with that myself where I'm like, did I pick based on race for the right reasons, right? And I think I'll be honest with you, I defend it in my own mind. I say, look, I think it's most appropriate to get you guys on, right? You guys are representative of the profession. You guys are representative of different genders. And you guys also can speak to uh, with different perspectives because you guys are not a monolith, right? I want to be 100% clear that this is this is no way a, uh, making statements that, that all Black architecture students believe the same things. I, and, and quite frankly, that's not to say. But I, I think that we are trying to say that, you know, I'm getting different vantage points on the same topic. And they are from the demographic that is really front and center right now, correct? So I, I, I apologize if I had to defend that, but I don't, I don't, no. Adna Tepenga, I don't want you guys feeling like I just pulled you in because it's like you're a token black woman or something in, in this conversation. But that brings me to another point. You two are just about to go into industry, Adna especially, because you're looking at going to co-op, right? You have David here. Are there any questions you have for David about entering the profession? Because I think for some of you guys, it might be your first real professional or career related job, right? Because I mean, all of us have worked at McDonald's or something, right? But, you know, David's worked it through and David's a licensed architect. He's actually made all the way through to get that license. You know, I, I guess starting with you, Ed, do you have any questions for David about, you know, being black in the architecture profession? Mm, one second. Oh, whoa. <laughs> Let me break up that list. Here, here are the notes, yeah. <laughs> no, actually, I don't, have a, I don't have notes. But um, uh, I guess, yeah, I'll just start with uh, asking, uh, do you feel like um, your skin color was ev like ever got in the way of getting jobs offered or anything like that? No. And again, I go back to, so I've really only worked at two places. One was... Arab and the other one was with Horhan. Uh, and with Horhan, I... Uh, Horhan, you know, two, ar <laughs> two architects. I should just mention that. It's two yeah. architects. Okay. Two architects, Inc. And um, I, I was there for two years. It worked out really well. I hadn't really applied for many other places, to be honest. Um, I've, I've always been... Um, and I, I want to be careful with how I answer this as well, because I am also recognizing that there are various privileges so when vince when you you say uh, like black is not a monolith um there there is a thing of there is um shades of black that people tolerate you know there's the will smith black that you know everybody seems to really really like and then there's the the Samuel killer jackson mike. oh okay sure i was gonna go with killer mike but oh, killer mike's but, cool but okay yeah yeah <laughs> but you know the, this this is a thing and I've never really, I haven't seen it in, in architecture as well, but I also am conscious that maybe I'm, I haven't been um, looking at it, like l looking for it, right? Because I, I've, I, I feel like I do have, a, have particular privileges that, that help, right? My name's David Campbell. 
it's not the blackest name in the in the entire world, right? Um, what does it look like on a on a resume with mm-hmm. everything else? I, I I don't know. And so these these are hard questions that I'm starting to ask myself, Adnith, and um, I'm I'm really wrestling with it, and I don't know what the answer is. Um, because so my my answer to you is that no, I have not ex- experienced it myself, but I'm damn sure that people have, mm-hmm. um, and I want to be more aware of that, right? Because I I think that there again there are there are degrees of privilege that people have, and so you know I don't I don't like getting into points and and who has most yeah. minority points and those kind of things, but there is an unconscious bias exists, right? And the reason why it's dangerous is that it's unconscious. Mm-hmm. People don't know that they have it. Um, I guess the reason why I was asking this is that um, obviously I haven't been into like the architecture field, like in working, like in the working environment. And if I'm relating this to like my personal experience with jobs and I've had like experiences where I would go to interviews and uh, my name isn't isn't necessarily like it doesn't say like I'm black uh, so I would have like people surprised and like it would go not so good because like you could, you could feel like uh, some sort of tension so but, surprised in, in what way sorry uh not a good way <laughs> not mm. in a good way but uh, maybe like they were expecting something else let's say really that sounds like my era come on that 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 happens today huh it it does like to the, to the extent what you described, because that, that, that is a sad state of affairs when it's like yeah. it's happened back in my day. And, and to hear that it's happening to you, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. No, but it's cool. <laughs> and, I mean, like, be used to it. Um, but with architecture, like my, um, my question was coming from the um, same point of it's not necessarily like you're judged mostly, I, I believe, I don't know, uh, on like your work. So you don't, it doesn't really attach to like what you look like. Let's say like if you submit a portfolio somewhere, like they don't really see any of that. So I would just, I wanted to see if there was still something related to that within the field. Because in my head, I never thought of architecture in that sense. And I never, I never thought that architecture had, I never, I was never um, worried coming into architecture of these situations. So I just wanted to know if mm-hmm. there's something mm-hmm. that actually happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I resonate with what you what you said greatly because our architecture, if you, you know, if you just have a piece of paper and you're drawing a building, it's kind of agnostic to, to race, right? Like your head exactly. is in the, you're not, you're not looking around and mm-hmm. it's, it's very, it's like, it's like the sciences and, and, and writing in that sense, right? Like you, you don't, you don't necessarily see it. Uh, what I do want to say is that, um, Again, and this again goes back to unconscious bias, and that we we all have this. There, we we there, there are judgments that we that we place on people, and um, for the first time in history, there's a sort of a a, a massive call right now to acknowledge it, and that mm-hmm. that's why you know when you look on social media, and so many of the posts are really just information, and saying reflect on things that you have experienced and things that you may have thought. Um, because that's the only way that you can you can cancel out that kind of bias. Um, I uh, one thing that I or not I but you know the the team that we try to do um, uh, when we're interviewing is we do several rounds of interviewing and it can be a bit cumbersome. But um, normally the two interviewing teams don't speak, and that's quite useful. Um, 
because it, it means that it sort of counsels out certain certain um, biases that that one person may bring in, also to interview in pairs. So there may you know there may have to be things that you as a as a black woman have to look out for when you're interviewing and unfortunately that may be the case um I, and again i don't want to bring a dark cloud over this whole thing but are you being interviewed by two people are you being interviewed by another woman in in leadership maybe that make that that helps you make a decision in terms of whether this is a practice that you want to spend your time in um wow i i yeah i mean i i and i'm sorry that if, if this sounds um like abrupt and whatnot. And I think I'm probably going to get the, uh, labeled as like a, a, a radical in, in this way, but like, really, these are, these are things that have to be looked at. And um, I think it's important to think about it. Yeah. Um, I, I, just, I also want to draw attention to that, like as an aside, well, Topanga thinks of her questions for you, Dave. Um, I just want to let you know that that's one of the reasons why I think interviews are good and you raise a good point about uh, the two, the pairing and stuff. But I also believe that, you know, if you're talking about getting into a place where it's like, does the person have on their, on paper, the right relevant skills, the right relevant experience, they should get the job. You shouldn't be making decisions solely on mm -hmm. what a person looks like. And we still see programs and I'm not going to point fingers, but you know, I'd like to think that I work in, arguably, I've worked at a couple of programs now, a few programs now, and uh, I can also say Ryerson's the most diverse group I've, I've dealt with, right? And I've also, like, done stints teaching in the States, done stints teaching in, like, you know, Europe, and I can tell you right now, like, you know, go, go, you go to States, David, you, I'm not sure if you've ever gone to any architecture schools. There are some schools where it's, like, straight, as you guys know, predominantly black schools, right? Yeah. And you're just like, whoa, I've never, like, it's like, I, I just walk down, I'm like, I've never seen this high a concentration of black architecture students like it, you know it ever and it's like wow this is a whole class right so that's kind of cool but um I, if you go to ryerson i'd like to think it's probably one of the more diverse and maybe it's a reflection of the local population the toronto population it draws upon or maybe it's a reflection of canada that's great but i also want to draw attention to the fact that you know as much as we're talking about the ryerson thing i still think it's very strange that people still hold interviews and they have to see you they have not to get into the program they have to see your face that to me is a problem. Yeah, that, if, that's not done at Ryerson, right? Because I, yeah. I had never done one. Yeah, we don't do that. Right. Um, uh, I know that there's some rationale for it, but I, I just, I, I liked it when I, when I came to Ryerson, I was like, oh, you guys don't do interviews. And they're like, nope. And then when I saw the like next level of reality TV show where it's like, you got to do a portfolio, you got to do a drawing test, you got to do a writing test, you got to do a home exercise now. Like, like there is nothing else that you can do like if you can't demonstrate in those four metrics that you should be in the program, what does looking at you, like whether or not Adnet is black or if I thought coming in that she was supposed to be white, it shouldn't make a difference. Right. So I just wanted to put that on out there. Like it makes no sense yeah. to me that, you know, and, and it's really sad to hear Adnet that, you know, you're going to jobs or, you know, prospective jobs. And then it's like, there's a, there's a, there's a, first off, I don't know why the surprise because it's like it doesn't matter whether you're ugly, fat, white, g green, you know, whatever. It, it, you, I'm seeing you because your papers say that you are, are really accomplished. I'm just here to put the you know the eyes and dots the you know dot the dot the eyes and like cross the t's to make sure you're good, right? So that's the thing, and I'm sorry to hear about that, but I just want to talk about that for a sec. Um, so I'm going to go back to you to Topanga. Topanga, you got any questions for our friend David here? Yeah. Um... 
So when we were talking earlier about if, like what famous black architects you know, I think we focus on uh, Emmeth and I, and we kind of pause because, I mean, you, I'm assuming you know quite a few. Um, do you think, like, could you lead us down a path just to do research by ourselves? Mm. So, it, like, it, you're you're basically asking, are you asking me for guidance in terms of how to look for for architects that you might like that may be black or people of color? Is that your, or are you asking for names? Both. I, got, I, I got one name. I got one name. Um, I've already said it, but I, I, I'm going to explain why. But David, you do one, and I'll do one. How about that? Sure. Um, I'm going to do the one that wouldn't normally be in books, but uh, Francis Kerr. Oh. Kerry. Um, I really like him. And actually, when we were doing the schools in Ghana, he was like, that's, that's the guy that you look at if you're doing, you know, charitable um, projects in, in kind of Ghana, West Africa sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, just because like his responses to climate and, and his response to the community are things that people always really, really try to pattern their work off of. Um, he has, he has really strong work. And you probably won't hear from him in many many books in a way, I, probably because of the type of buildings that he does. Um, but he's, well, he I was born the, in- I was gonna oh, say, sorry. I think the, if, you, if, you, if you kids were like, I, I don't know, like I'm like thinking, what would kids know? If you ever seen a sculpture with the, the cube, the head cube thing, you guys ever seen that? No, maybe I'm too old. But you know what I'm talking about, right, David? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, so that, if, you guys, if you guys were to look him up, uh, he's, he's the guy that has some, he, again, he does some interesting stuff, but I think if you really look at it, He's probably most known for that, um, that, 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 I can't remember what it was for. It was like a head with a cube on it. It was a big sculpture. Yeah, I don't know what it was for. Like the, I, it, for whatever reason, it's not the first one that I think of. I always think of his crazy floating roof. Like if you look at it, it has almost no, like you literally see through this thing. It's just this yep. massive plane of a roof. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there, there are photographs of, of people on that built, like, you know, bending rebar and that kind of stuff. To it, it looks really impossible, but there's some really good uh, talks that he's done and and whatnot. Um, I think he's he's based now in Berlin, uh, yes. but he was yes, from Bur he yeah he was from uh, Burkina Faso, which is just kind of north of Ghana, basically. Um, but I I would also I don't know what for, for whatever reason I I don't like looking at Starkitects. I, I don't know. I, it's I I always I kind of like the sort of the sub version of that in a way. So well, you've been talking about the underdog all the time, so I can understand, yeah, man. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's it. I yeah, I think that sensibility's kind of followed me around in a way. Um, but yeah, there there's a lot of um, people who are starting to get into Instagram and LinkedIn and whatnot, and I'm. Uh, to be honest, I can't name more than more than five people that I that I follow really, and it, that's yeah. pretty embarrassing. And I, I I want to do some work to find these people. Yeah, um, I, I think I think you're 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 actually hitting it right on the nose because um, I, I think you ladies, you guys have probably heard of like this isn't my choice, but you guys have probably been uh, highlighted with like um, David Ajay, right? For example. Wow, did we just like lost lose him on Zoom, or is it just like I just blow him away with David Ajay? Well, I I didn't want to say him first because I thought you guys would know for sure, but check him uh, out definitely. <laughs> and that's the strength of our uh, history theory curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, Adnet, there's your Black history right there. Um, but you probably see a lot of his work, um, and he's he's very very clean. Um, you know, it, it's funny because remember uh, you, you you might have remembered in the store in the. 
Uh, in the headlines, he was one of the short listers for uh, the Barack Obama Library. Um, and it was just funny because I was like, oh, why wouldn't it would naturally have the black architect, the world's famous mm -hmm. black architect doing the first a black American presence library. No, didn't quite get it. But I mean, if you take a look at some of his work, he's, he's done some really, and it's clean. Um, Adnet, for your style, not so much. Hey, Topanga, that might be up your alley. I just happen to know you two ladies and your studio work. So just to think about that. But I, I, you know, it's kind of sad though. The one that I was thinking about was Kunle Adeyemi. And uh, just for just the information, um, I had to do a lot of work into looking at his, his, his uh, portfolio of stuff. And we were, and I was talking back and forth to his office um, just to get him to do some publication stuff with me. Uh, but he, he's known for doing a couple of, uh, you know, very like as, as with the Carré uh, projects, like lots of interventions and to help, you know, people in the developing world. But uh, I think one thing that Kunle Adeyemi, if you look him up, uh, he's from Nigeria. He did this really interesting school, this floating school. It's like an A-frame floating school. Okay. And um, basically, he then made permutations of it, and it went and it was on display at the Venice Biennale um, about six years ago, maybe. I can't remember anymore. Um, and then, of course, they've built a couple of versions of it since in like uh, around the world, right? But he, he's, he's a very good, uh, distinguished architect. I think he's working out of the Netherlands now. I could be wrong, mm. but, um, but he, he's, he's a very... You know, silent, but very good uh, architect. But I think he's one of the few that's actually making a really big name, at least in the continent, in, in Africa. So you guys so you guys got a few good ones. And unfortunately, guys, um, between Dave and I, I don't think we've given you any good, not good, but any strong names for female Black architects. But at some point, I hope years from now, we're going to say Topanga and Adnet. Yeah. Um, but, but, but just to, to draw on that other point about uh, minority, um, you know, it's funny, you, uh, who, was it Adnith? You were talking about you were looking up uh, the, uh, the the survey data on Black female architects. Yeah. Okay. So get this. Um, th no word of a lie. The the person that they in I know the survey document they're talking about because the person they had um, in that document was one of my students. So I had a student. She <laughs> yeah. No word of a lie. She, I, I think we're talking. Are we? Are, Yes, I know who we, you're talking about. Yes, yes, we yeah. are. Okay. Um, so, so that that lady, she, um, I'm not gonna say anything bad. I'm just gonna say she uh, basically uh, was interviewed um, for that document, and then she was also interviewed, I think, a little bit prior to that because she was asked to give a talk about being a female and a minority uh, in the in the wake of Zaha Hadid dying. Um, mm. So, so, but it's just funny that it's such a small world, Nadnet, that the one black female architect that they interview for the for this article and for this survey is a Canadian graduate working yes. in, the, you know, in the States. And it just happened to be that I, I was I, I had supervised her over a master's. So it's a super small world. Um, and at the same time, if you guys know, if you guys are interested, I'm gonna put the link in the show notes, but uh, there's this organization called Beat. Um, and they deal with a lot of issues about uh, visible minorities and women in, in the in the architecture scene. Um, so I'll put the link there. And the, the person that's on the committee that used to be the president of that, uh, I taught her, um, Camille, I taught her. When oh, the, she did he was, teach Camille? Oh my God. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. See, oh, I cool. taught, dude, I taught Camille Mitchell when yeah. he, long ass time ago. See, that's how old I am kids. I'm not even, wow. working, see, not Yep. Thank you, David. So kids one day you guys will get old and I will still be the same damn age. <laughs> and I'll just be like, I taught you guys too. 
Because um, as Viv told me, and then uh, tell me if this is going to sound racist. Viv told me, it's not me. Uh, black don't crack? Is that the thing? Oh, I, I was just going to say it, actually. Okay, thank you. Okay, yeah. wait. That wasn't cultural mis- I, but uh, I, appropriation there. I, I'm, I'm not good at timing my jokes, but, um, but yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah, we we actually had Camille in um, for our for our uh, Black History Month celebrations at work because we basically we um, we wanted to find uh, Black tech innovators. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Every, we like we were going to highlight you know if influential Black people, um, mm-hmm. but then it just went to the same places. It yeah. went to music. It went to sports, and then we just said, you know what? We're just going to do inventors, architects, engineers. And it was appropriate because that's mm-hmm. the kind of firm yeah. that we are. And so um, so she came in and it was, it was really nice that it was the first time I had met her. I was a bit starstruck actually. Oh, really? Uh, really? Vivian, Vivian sent the email. Um, you know, I was too shy. And then, uh, but it was, it was really nice having her there and she gave a really nice talk um, oh, to, the, to the whole office. So, See, uh, kids, it is a super, super small world. Um, so I know we're running down on time. So just because we were starting to talk about some really meaty topics, but also we started talking about some topics that uh, aren't necessarily the happiest of places, but we're talking about architectural education. So we always have something fun to close off these episodes. So I'm going to start off with you, Topanga. Do you have a good, well, maybe not haha funny, but you know, good story that you can share with us? Yeah. Um, just pertaining to, I guess, these funny little micro microaggressions that we experience like daily. Um, I don't have one that's like most recent, only done my first year, but I'll talk about one from like my last year of high school. Um, I found myself in a lot of leadership positions throughout high school and my right hand was a white male. Mm -hmm. So I actually found this like really often that when we go out to speak to someone who didn't know us both, who didn't know like who was like the first person making the decisions or like completely in power, they would first address him. So they talked directly to him as if I was kind of invisible and they automatically assumed that the white male versus the black female, he was the one making the decisions Mm -hmm. and therefore they should be addressing him directly. So it's always really funny when he replies to them, okay, yeah, great. Do you want to redirect all that information to her because she's making the decisions. Um, She's actually doing the head of this. So all that information should definitely be redirected. I'm just thinking that the people that you're dealing with must have been really stupid when it's like you're in correspondence with them saying, I'm Camille, I'm Camille, I'm making decisions. And then Bob comes up and it's like, whoa, I thought this white guy was named Camille. Like, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, but even without like names, the first thing they assume is that it would be anybody but me. Hmm. <laughs> uh, Adnes, you want to share something? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, if we're talking about microaggressions, I have a lot. But <laughs> um, in architecture, uh, not really. I feel like... Um, That's right, because we do it right in Ryerson. We're all good in human rights and we're all clean. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true, honestly, like um, with students in particular, like, uh, no, I haven't, I haven't gotten any like microaggression that I can remember. 
uh, at Ryzen uh, outside, though it's something different. <laughs> um, okay, one that I can remember quickly. Uh, okay, let's say uh, I was working in a restaurant. I work uh, in, in this restaurant, this touristic restaurant uh, every summer. And I would get my progressions every single day, like at least like a couple times a day. And they would go like, um, let's say this lady would come up to me and be like, wow, um, wow, so they, they hire black people here. And, <laughs> and I just, oh my God. It was in a hotel and she was, what's funny about my progressions that people don't really, like they don't realize what they're saying really. So uh, she was uh, congratulating me for getting a job. <laughs> and I was just like, well, thank you. And, um, <laughs> oh my Damn. God. No, no, but it's like, it happens all the time. Also, like people would ask me uh, when I, where I'm from, which uh, I kind of got annoyed um, by this question. So I just started saying that I was uh, born and raised here and my, uh, while working, that was like the thing that would get me through the day. I would just, because uh, I would get it every single day. So I would just tell people that I was uh, from here. So it would go this way. So hi, so how long have you been here for? Um, what do you mean? So where are you from? Here? No, but like, where are you from? Here? Oh. <laughs> from? Here? No, but like. But really. Like, yeah. And unless it ends with Africa, you're you're not gonna yeah. get them to lay off, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know, I know, but it's kind of fun to mess up, like mess with them a little. You, no, you should make up new countries. You should be like Wakanda. Yeah, mm -hmm. but Just... I'm from Brazil. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait, but then, but then it's like your Portuguese is terrible. I mean, okay, but <laughs> they don't speak Portuguese. <laughs> <sighs> okay, Dave, help me out here. Give me some. Give me something good, man. Yeah, sure. Okay, so this goes back to what I was saying about there There really is no uh, singular black experience. And um, so again, my, my, my mom is very light skinned. She has German ancestry as well. Um, and her whole family is basically every shade. And if you were to take a family photo of all of us, you'd get like really black and you'd get like Irish. Right. And I'm so I'm in I'm in between. So we have every shade. Um, but the actual story is when we went to Ghana uh, to build a school. And that was also with with uh, with Ryerson. And there were 30 of us. Mm -hmm. uh, I was actually the only black. Was I the, Yeah, I was the only black uh, student who, who went. Um, and I remember going to the airport and we kind of talked to the you know, the people, security and whatnot about what we're doing. And, you know, they're all, oh, wow, that's so great. You're doing such nice things. Um, and someone asked me if I was Ghanaian. And I get that I can probably pass for many different mm -hmm. uh, cultures. Um, but that was odd because I was the only one asked, right? Um, so I thought that was interesting. Hmm. So, but in, in my head, I didn't, I, I don't know if I, I knew it was a racist thing, but I kind of just brushed it off. But I'm on the plane and I'm, and now I'm starting to think, oh, you know, being in Ghana is going to be super easy because everyone's going to think that I'm from Ghana. We went there, we went to the village, we went everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, they thought I was pretty much as white as everybody else. It was very <laughs> clear that I was not from there. And I learned a huge lesson in that um, 
it, it was just, it was very noticeable, right? It's, it's, I was not from this culture. And for me to kind of come in and say, yeah, you know, I'm the expert on blackness. And so I'm going to design the school better than anyone else. Like, <laughs> just you, like you, you can't say that, right? Because I'm, I had a totally different lived experience than them. I have a totally different background and I came very much as an outsider and, you know, we, we bonded and, and we made great friends and those kind of things while, while we were there. Um, but you know, I, 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 I was not from that, that community there. And it was, we did another one, not with Ryerson, but with Arup and we had gone mm -hmm. to Kenya and we actually didn't finish the school. And in, in this case, we didn't even start, it, it was a whole kind of dodgy situation. And we decided not to, not to work with this particular charity. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was a word that they would call kind of our, our group, which was Mzungu. And that basically just means white, white person. I don't want to mm -hmm. say the rest of it. It just means white person. Okay. And I, like, I was, I was part of that kind of group right so and, and i very much was like a interloper coming into this culture so i the, the reason i'm saying this story is just because like again there's no there's no way to be black and when there there are there are unconscious biases in that people think that everyone is from africa or has african roots or actually it's a it's a diaspora it's everyone is everywhere and it's very hard to trace lineage within the black community it's just it's very hard um, if you're in, generally, if you're of Caribbean descent in Toronto, mm -hmm. um, you're kind of like, I, I've received a lot of my culture secondhand, like through, through stories from my mom and, 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 uh, and family and friends and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's how I've, that's how I've, that's how I identify in terms of what black means to me. Right. So wow. it's, it's, it's a totally different experience. And, and I'm sure for, uh, for, for you both, like it's, it's just a totally different experience to what I'm describing. Um, and it, it's important to acknowledge that, right? No matter where you're going or, or, or you know where you've been, it's just it's just important to acknowledge that. So. Wow, I mean, man, you know what? Honestly, I, I want to say this in closing that there's a lot of sad stuff that still goes on, um, and and we'll see how the current state of affairs uh, evolves over the next few months. But uh, I, I want to say that to have you guys on here, it's, it's been informative for me just because anytime I throw the questions back to like, especially Topanga and Adnath, I'm, I'm always worried that they're going to say, yeah, this is one time Vince, when you said this, right? So, <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for not dropping uh, on that one. Um, but I, I, I think that just hearing some of the recounting of, of stuff that you two ladies have encountered, I, I think that it, it forces me to kind of look back and just go like, okay, did, was that an HR violation or was that just me being like totally um, just unconscious bias or being, you know, I'm, I'm, I know I'm notorious for being passive aggressive, but I also know that microaggressions uh, are, are different. And, and, and for any of you guys that have encountered that with me, it wasn't the microaggressions. It was just me being passive aggressive. So I do <laughs> apologize for that. Um, but in all honesty, I think that a lot of people listening, especially my colleagues, right? I think we, we stand to learn a lot from getting that perspective. Like um, we had an episode earlier about just working and a lot of my colleagues were like, holy crap, I didn't know the students did X, Y, Z, right? I mean, we kind of heard about the fact that it makes sense that kids work, but we didn't know the suffering that they dealt with. And now I think that, and it's not like we're trying to call out props, but you know, with, with the various tales coming out of you guys, it's interesting from a faculty side to hear what you guys think, what you guys experience. And, you know, I, at the same time, I, I threw it out to hear what you guys could offer me and my colleagues to get better. 
Um, and, and I hope that we can find ways to start bridging that gap. And then also for David, thank you for basically being like co-host on this one to like really give a sense of direction and helping out these two ladies also get some confidence that it, it's, it's not going to be like watching the help or, you know, mm. it's not going to be that kind of bad, bad scenario. But I think that your dose of reality and that dose of ability to be preventative, uh, for lack of a better term, and to make sure that these ladies have a good sense of what they're going into is good. But as I said before, it's, it's sad to, to um, say that when I went to architecture program, and I'm not even saying for my own class, I'm saying for the entire period I was in school kids, I had one black colleague and he didn't even finish. Okay. Yeah. So that was, that was crazy. One black student in the entire school over the period I was at. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that to me is nuts. Uh, the fact that uh, in my graduating class, um, believe it or not, I was, I think there was two Chinese guys that graduated and I was the only Chinese guy that actually went to graduation. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it was, it was really different back then. Um, and, and I'm not saying that it's significantly better, but to at least know that I have, uh, it sounds terrible, but I have students, black students in the program, and I can comfortably say that at least we're, we're making progress. And as sad as it might seem that we got, you know, two students from the program talking right now, uh, it, you know, that, that, that's good. It's, it's more than I ever had. I didn't have any black female students when I was in architecture school. Mm. Um, uh, we had, uh, was it 30% was female? Now it's like, six, David, man, it's like 60% female now. You know, who rules the oh, world? Oh, it's, it's yeah. flipped. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. true. I, ladies, back me up, am I right? Yeah, no, it's gone, I think, at least for female representation, it's gone a lot, a lot better. I definitely think like more than half of yeah. my peers are female. Yeah. And Adnath, I think same thing with your class too. Yeah, I think we have like more, um, even more females than, than guys. I think so. Yep. And just for the record, because I deal with co-op, um, as you know, it's, our co-op's competitive. So it tends to be the top, uh, you know, 25% of the class um, is in co-op. Uh, David, do you know that, okay, first off, ladies, um, David works at Arup, and the two co-op people that he has in his office from our program are what or gender orientation? Female. I, I think it's had a, like he phrased like a question. Was this Jeopardy? Oh yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm pretty it sure. Sounded, no, but it, it sounded like a trick question. I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think. Okay. We were doing a shout out to Viv, but uh, um, yeah, Viv and so, Viv and Leanne are both females. Um, and, and the thing is, ladies, you, you two ladies, uh, Topanga and Adna, of that class, okay, so there's 35 people in that class that are in co-op, okay? Okay, guys, how many of those 35 are male? Uh, Any, guess? I would say 15. 15, what do you say, Topanga? Um, out of 35? I want to say like a little bit more than that, like 20. 20. How about six? Wow. Really? Not 26, six. Hmm. 
Okay. So that said, we, like when we're making progress in certain things, but mm. obviously uh, when half the population's female, then yes, you can kind of say, yeah, uh, I can attest or uh, when everyone has a mother, I can help out that. Let's hope we can say the same thing in some way works with the situation right now with acknowledging, as we discussed earlier, the, the kind of situation that, that's befallen a large swath of our population. And uh, thank you for giving us that perspective. So I want to say, first off, thank you once again for all of your contributions. Secondly, thank you for taking the time out and the patience and, and informing me and certainly all the people that are listening about the kind of situations that you guys face, not in protesting out in the streets, but just even the, the way we deal with the kind of inequalities and s systemic racism that is kind of found within our academic realm. So thank you very much, guys. Thank you, Vince. Yeah, thank you for having us on.